Welcome to Next Left. This is John Nichols of The Nation magazine. Manuel Natal Albelo, at age 33, is one of the most dynamic and popular political figures in Puerto Rico. He is breaking the old boundaries of politics on the island, sitting as an independent in the Puerto Rican House of Representatives and forging a movement that seeks to end corruption, overturn austerity, and move beyond the stalemates of the past. A lawyer who is in his sixth year as a legislator, Natal has deep roots in the politics of Puerto Rico, yet he refuses to be bound by what has been done before. He welcomes a robust debate over the status of Puerto Rico as a U.S. territory. He decries the economic constraints placed on the Puerto Rican people by politicians in Washington. And he speaks of a future where Puerto Ricans will shape their own destiny with an eye toward economic and social justice, protecting the environment, and guarding against abuses by multinational corporations. Natal has a vision for a new politics. It has been rewarded by the voters and by the crowds that have cheered his speeches at mass rallies against corruption and austerity. We spoke to him in San Juan. Manuel, thank you so much for joining us on Next Left. I appreciate the opportunity, John. Uh, I want to start at 30,000 feet, uh, the, the big picture, because there's so many people in the U.S. on the mainland get their information about Puerto Rico through mainstream media that doesn't really give a full picture. So let's start with you telling us a little bit about how people in Washington and across the mainland U.S. should be thinking about Puerto Rico at this point. Well, Puerto Rico is going through possibly the worst crisis in its history. It's not only an economic and fiscal crisis, but it's also a political crisis, a political crisis that its origins are directly related to our political relationship with the United States. We have been a colony of the United States for over 120 years, and it has never been more obvious that in the last five or 10 years, particularly within the last couple of years, in which I guess the way that it was hidden has become obvious to most people in Puerto Rico and I would think to the rest of the world, particularly what has been the recipe imposed by the United States Congress and the executive branch in, in D.C. in terms of dealing with Puerto Rico's financial and economic crisis. So Puerto Rico started a recession in 2006. 13 years later, we're in a worse place than we were before that recession started. The government have implemented a series of austerity policies that have made it very, very difficult for the people of Puerto Rico to live with dignity on our island, which has forced many of our uh, fellow Puerto Rican citizens to move outside of Puerto Rico, particularly to the U.S. So we are in the middle of a constitutional, economic, fiscal, and political crisis, uh, but that has also created many opportunities for those of us that are not satisfied with our current situation and that every day we're working towards the Puerto Rico that we believe we deserve. And you are one of those who's chosen to become deeply involved in this, uh, not just recently, but uh, have served 
for a good deal of time in the legislature there. Uh, let's go back to your beginnings. You you come from a family that has a long history of involvement in politics in Puerto Rico. Yes, I, I my like myself and many others, uh, I have come from a family that has been identified with one of the two main political parties here in Puerto Rico. As you might know, in Puerto Rico, the political parties are not organized according to their values in terms of social, economic issues and whatnot. They're basically concentrated on the status question. Parties in Puerto Rico are organized according to the relationship that they wish to have with the United States of America. And in that case, there are two main political parties here in Puerto Rico, the Statehood Party and the Commonwealth Party. I was part of the Commonwealth Party for most of my life. And and yes, I, I decided very early on that I wanted to be involved in public service. I didn't know necessarily how, but I remember as a very, very early in my life that I made the connection between public service and helping people. And I had the opportunity to to go to the United States to get my education there, to come back to Puerto Rico, to the University of Puerto Rico and go to law school here. And, and I immediately had to become involved because my generation was the one facing the immediate repercussions or, or effects of the of the economic and fiscal crisis that Puerto Rico was going to, and the public university was being affected. So that got me politically active uh, back then. And eventually I made the transition uh, into an elected position, becoming uh, the youngest elected official of the last term at 27 years old and now at 33. Unfortunately, I'm still the youngest uh, elected official in Puerto Rico. I would love for younger members of my generation to have an opportunity to serve uh, because I know the change that we need would come at a faster pace. And you had to battle your way in a little bit. You didn't. You didn't just uh, inherit a seat or something like that. Oh no, yeah. no, no, not at all. I, I, I had to uh, battle the political machine here in Puerto Rico, the establishment, from the very get-go. I was a student leader at the University of Puerto Rico as part of the 2010 protests in which the University of Puerto Rico was shut down for close to 68 days. During that time, we were fighting against tuition increases. We were fighting against an absurd uh, fees that they were imposing upon students to be able to deal with the economic crisis that Puerto Rico was dealing with. And, and that got me politically engaged, but it also uh, made me a target to a lot of the political establishment here in Puerto Rico. So in 2013, when I decided to, to run for a, for a seat in the House of Representatives, I had a very, very tough time. At that time, I, I was part of the, uh, the political party that was in power here in Puerto Rico. And the governor of that time, the speaker of the House, the president of the Senate, basically all the political leadership from the party that I was initially part of, uh, they had already endorsed a particular candidate. And I was supposed to not even be on the race. And I was able to get 54% of the votes, get elected. And from that point on, uh, I, I guess I started an uphill battle against the political establishment in Puerto Rico that eventually in 2016, I got reelected as the representatives with the most amount of votes in all Puerto Rico from that party. And eventually I decided to, to leave the party because of all the corruption that, in, in my opinion, was consuming the party from the inside. 
And you serve as an at-large representative. Tell people about that. Yeah, in Puerto Rico, we have this uh, particular figure that was created ever since our constitution. That's it's called representante por acumulación, which translates to represent, representative at large. That means that you don't represent a particular district or a particular town in Puerto Rico. You literally represent the entire island. So let's say in the House of Representatives here in Puerto Rico, we have 51 members. Out of those 51 members, 40 represent uh, representative districts, and 11 are elected at large. I was elected at large in 2016, which means that I get to represent the entire island. I have to campaign in all Puerto Rico, including the two island municipalities, but also that means that I have to be engaged with communities all over the island and make sure that their voices are fairly represented in the House of Representatives here in Puerto Rico. And so for someone with such a island-wide presence to decide to sit as an independent is a big deal. I mean, this is this is really taking a step that has political meaning and, and personal meaning, I would imagine. Yes, of course. I mean, it, it was obviously a, a very, very tough decision, particularly when you take into consideration the political repercussions of that decision. A lot of people, as I announced my decision, said, well, he threw away his political career. Uh, he could have been the next X, Y, or C. He just should have just sit down and wait for his turn. And I decided not to do that. I decided that for me, having a political title or going from one seat to another in terms of elected positions, uh, that's not an end, that's a means. And for me, the, the end is to be able to change positively the lives of my fellow Puerto Ricans. And unfortunately, our current political class here in Puerto Rico, they don't have the sense of urgency that I have as the youngest elected official in Puerto Rico, because it's not their generation that's every single day being forced out of the island. It's not their generation that are being forced to leave their families, to get on a plane, to go somewhere outside of Puerto Rico, including any of the 50 states, and start over a new life, every day thinking of the life that they left behind in Puerto Rico. And that, for me, created a sense of urgency that, I guess, uh, just pushed me to the position in which I was willing to sacrifice, if that may be, my political future for doing what's right. And, and to be honest, at the end of the day, it was a very obvious decision for me. And every single day I, I have walked with my head up high because I know I made, I made the right decision. And I have seen how that has inspired other people to leave aside all the tradition and leave aside or leave behind the old ways of doing things here in Puerto Rico. And they're looking with hope at the future, something that in the past we didn't necessarily have because uh, we were kind of resigned to having to choose between the less of two evils and with the rise of, of this new political movement and this new political revolution in Puerto Rico, we have a chance of actually uh, providing real change for the people of Puerto Rico and not having to wait an entire lifetime for that. And, and I look with a lot of hope towards that. 
And as you've done this, you've drawn support from not just political folks, but also cultural folks who have become involved in a lot of the struggles in Puerto Rico. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very interesting. The, the summer of 19, and that's what we call it in Puerto Rico, el verano del 19, which is just the summer that we recently had here in Puerto Rico, in which the people of Puerto Rico got together and did something that a lot of people never imagined possible. We were able to get a governor who was elected by the people of Puerto Rico to resign since he was not representing the best interests of the people of Puerto Rico. And that was done because the people of Puerto Rico united under a cause. The people of Puerto Rico understood that corruption is being, I guess, our main problem is the problem that uh, doesn't allow us to move forward. It's eating our government from the inside. It's, it's eating our corporate media from the inside. It's eating the private enterprise here in Puerto Rico from the inside. And we need to, to engage in, in a face-to-face -face battle with corruption. And, and that uh, allowed for a lot of people that have a lot of influence here in Puerto Rico to come out of their comfort zone and put a step forward and, and, and I guess, put their their money where their mouth is. And, and Residente René has been consistent support of what's doing right for the people of Puerto Rico, uh, even though he has paid directly the consequences of being so outspoken about the things he believes for Puerto Rico. Uh, but he was able to, to inspire others that in the past didn't necessarily engage politically or didn't necessarily assume a, a, a firm political position. And, and they you know, they were able to to come together with the rest of the country and we were able to do what we did in the summer of 19, getting Rosselló to resign. And and those individuals are, are individuals that I respect and are individuals that understand the courage that, that it took for me to do what I did a year ago. But because it's not only about leaving uh, one of the main political parties, it's about fighting the system from the inside every single day. It's about stepping up in that House of Representatives and when others decide to stay quiet, being able to raise my voice in defense of the people of Puerto Rico every single day, even though I'm getting all sorts of pressure from political and economic interests in the House of Representatives every single day that they decide to step up and, and defend the people of Puerto Rico. And, and, and they respect that and they have been uh, really supportive of what we've been doing. And, and I obviously appreciate it. I'm very honored of their support. We'll be back after these messages. Join me on the nation cruise to the Western Caribbean this December 8th through the 15th, sailing from Fort Lauderdale, Florida with ports of call in the Bahamas, Jamaica, Grand Cayman and Mexico. I'll be joined by Ijin Poo, Joan Walsh, Ben Jealous, Zephyr Teachout, and many other progressive thinkers, leaders, and heroes. Together, we'll explore our turbulent political landscape and debate what can be done about challenges facing the United States and the world. We'll do it all amid the natural beauty of the Western Caribbean. This trip will sell out fast. Secure your spot at www.nationcruise.com. I hope to see you on board. Welcome back to Next Left. I'm speaking with representative at large, Manuel Natal Albelo. And and I would imagine, 
that you take strength from the fact that even if it is very hard on the inside, there are people on the outside who are often in the street or at the very least at meetings and and rallies. Uh, And so there's an energy that you get to represent within the legislative chamber. Of course. And and that's uh, particularly within the last couple of months that has been more apparent. Uh, I, to be honest, uh, before that, uh, it, it was, uh, I guess, a, a little bit lonely uh, because uh, I was getting, you know, <laughs> destroyed inside inside the House of Representatives, and then getting outside to the streets, and and the people were not necessarily showing up to all the different manifestations and protests that that different organizations were uh, putting together in order to deal with our debt restructuring, in order to deal with the auditing of our debt and and, and many other important issues that have been going around for for so long. But I think that dramatically changed uh, in the summer of, of 19. For me, the first big march that we had, it was right before the, the one that we hit close to a million people. That big march we had, it was, we had close to half a million people that protest from the Capitol building all the way to the governor's mansion. And I had the opportunity to address the crowd in front of the Capitol building as the last speaker of that, of that afternoon, right before we marched towards the governor's mansion. And, and when I got up to speak, I, I felt this energy that I had never, that I had never ever felt in my life. And, and for me, it was a, it was a moment of before and after, because when I look back at the Capitol building and, and I remember all the struggles and, and all the fights that we have been doing inside of that building, most of the time alone, and then finding myself in front of the Capitol building, right on the steps with a multitude of, of people, of young people that were so engaged and that were so ready for, for change. And, and that's when I knew that, that we were at the brink of a political revolution here in Puerto Rico, which started with the resignation of Ricardo Rosselló, but that it would definitely not end there. Uh, we are in the middle of a political revolution that's going to continue all the way towards the general election in 2020. And we're going to see concrete results of, of what that meant that a million people took the streets of Puerto Rico and, and eventually got an elected governor to resign. And tell me about where you want to take that political revolution. What are the things that, I mean, I understand there's a lot of politics between where we're at now and where you hope to to see things get, but but what are some of the goals that you have? Well, but for me, the the, the most pressing issue is how we deal with our debt situation. As as you probably know, Puerto Rico it's currently going through a process of bankruptcy court, but it's a special process that Congress created with a bill called Promesa. Promesa in Spanish means uh, well in english it means promise and and it's one of the most unfortunate things to happen in puerto rico's recent history and i guess the the most revealing uh, factor of it it is that it was a legislation created by a democratic president democratic house of representatives 
and a Republican Senate. So this harm to the people of Puerto Rico was done bipartisan, in a bipartisan way in the United States by the imposition of this uh, fiscal control board to the people of Puerto Rico. And I guess the most pressing issue is to be able to stop the negotiations that are taking place right now in this federal level, uh, because they're basically shaping the way our country is going to be for the next 30, 40 years. And the people of Puerto Rico don't have a say in that process. So we need to audit our debt. We need to make sure that the debt that it's found to be illegal, we get to nullify that debt and we get to process the people that got us to that point. People need to go to jail. And that means people from both the main political parties here in Puerto Rico, but not only people that are active politically, but also people that are in the industrial and financial industry in Puerto Rico, people that really took advantage of the people of Puerto Rico by getting us into a $73 billion debt. So I think that's the most pressing issue. And, and I think it's an issue in which most Puerto Ricans are in consensus. Once we're able to stop the negotiations that are not being done in the best interest of the people of Puerto Rico, we are able to define our essential services. We're able to put the money back into University of Puerto Rico and other public institutions that were has been taken out during this financial and economic crisis. And we're in a crusade. We're in a crusade fighting against what we have called here in Puerto Rico, Los Intocables, which in English means the untouchables. We have a group of people here in Puerto Rico that regardless of who wins in Puerto Rico, whether it's the statehood party or the Commonwealth party, they always win. They always get what they want. And the rest of the people of Puerto Rico are the ones suffering the consequences of, of their decisions and, and them maintaining the, their privilege. So that's why I, I don't take lightly speaking about a political revolution, because literally that's what's going on in Puerto Rico and that's what's going to undertake to be able to fight this political and economic interests that have ripped the benefits of, of the hard work of working families here in Puerto Rico for, for so long. You're a young person and you have been part of a movement that has brought a tremendous amount of young people into the streets and, and into the politics of, of Puerto Rico. Is it your sense that there's a rising generation that that shares the view that you have, that that at the end of the day, you have to address these fundamental issues as part of the, the broader discussion about decolonization? Yes, I, I, I believe there is a, there's also an underlining theme here that is a generational theme. When you look at all the different issues that Puerto Rico is facing, whether it's migration, whether it's unemployment, quality of life, violence on the streets of Puerto Rico that is generated out of the social inequality that we're living here in Puerto Rico. When you look at the details of those stats, the younger members of our country and particularly my generation are the ones most affected by it. So we're looking at a generation that has never lived in a Puerto Rico of prosperity. They don't know what it was for our parents when Puerto Rico was at a level in which the economy was doing well, in which there were big factories here in Puerto Rico, there were good paying jobs. 
my generation doesn't know that. I came out of college at 2008, went straight to law school. And as soon as I graduated law school, as many of my colleagues, there was not a job waiting for us. You know, we had to create uh, an opportunity to, to be able to, to earn a life here in Puerto Rico. And eventually that led to many of my colleagues, many of my friends to leave Puerto Rico because there were no jobs here in Puerto Rico for our generation. So that has got worse ever since I got out of college. So we have a, a, a generation that does not respond to the same fears that their parents and their grandparents did. They know that things are not okay and that they're not satisfied with simply saying, well, we're going to continue to do the same and expect for different results. And that's why the summer of 19 caught by surprise many people here in Puerto Rico, particularly politicians, but it didn't necessarily caught me by surprise because since I was elected in 2013, every single week I go to several schools, universities, whether they're public or private, whether it's elemental, intermediary, uh, high school or university, and I engage in conversatories and in, in discussions with, with this youth about what's going on in the Capitol building. So it's, it's, it's for me, it's, I guess it's still something that, that I'm getting used to that I'm seeing in the protests, kids that uh, six years ago, I went to speak to them in their high school or in their intermediate school when they were just initially, I guess, finding out about what was going on in Puerto Rico. So, so we have a, a generational change here in Puerto Rico as well that definitely fueled the change that happened in the summer of 19. And that's going to continue to fuel the change that we're going to see both in the electoral sense and the, the everyday organization of the people of Puerto Rico. Obviously, the task that, like it is in the U.S., we have in Puerto Rico, we need to get those people registered to vote. And that's something that is, has been very hard, not because they are not interested in doing so, but because the Electoral Commission here in Puerto Rico is controlled by the main political parties. So they're doing everything in their power to prevent that youth from getting registered to vote because they know that if that youth gets to vote, they're going to vote for change. They're not going to vote for the continuation of our current political situation here in Puerto Rico. It sounds like uh, a, lot of, a lot of fights ahead, but also a, a good deal of faith that, that the big change is coming. I, I, I would say faith, but my generation also, yes, we're, we're inspiring other people, but I think we're also, in Spanish we say amenazando, that we're to, to threat, to, to create fear in others, right? And, and I think my generation is, is a sign of hope, but it's also a sign of fear for the economic, financial, and political institutions here in Puerto Rico and the establishment here in Puerto Rico. And that's okay, because we need to be able to inspire those that need to be inspired, but we need, we need to be able to create fear 
on those that have always thought that things will never change in Puerto Rico, that they will continue to get their way, that they will continue to get rich out of the blood, sweat, and tears of working people here in Puerto Rico. Well, they need to understand that that fear is going to change sides and it's happening at a very fast pace here in Puerto Rico. That is a very powerful note on which to finish. Manuel, I want to thank you so much for joining us and really giving us so much insight uh, into what's going on, not just with you politically, but in Puerto Rico. Again, thanks so much for joining us on Next Left. I appreciate the opportunity and I'm always happy to help share what's going on in Puerto Rico with others, particularly with people that share our values about the world that we deserve to live, not necessarily the one that we have. So I appreciate the opportunity, John. This episode of Next Left was produced and edited by Sophia steiner Evoy. Our executive producers are Frank Reynolds, Aaron O'Mara, and Katrina Vandenhuvel. Our theme music is Deli Run by Ava Luna, who you can check out at avalunagroup.com. Our logo was designed by Sinead Chung. Recording help this week from David Ruiz. If you're enjoying the show, please let us know by rating and reviewing us on iTunes and subscribing anywhere you get your podcasts. 